Okay, so this is going to be rough because I have trouble speaking normal English. So a lot of these <laughs> names I'm going to screw up. Okay, so welcome to Damage Control Podcast. <laughs> Damage Control Podcasting. Damage Control Podcasting, <laughs> episode 9.5, the Miskatonic episode. Oh. So I am here with... Daniel Newkirk. Connor Cornwell. Okay, so last last episode we did vampires, werewolves, and kaiju. I wanted to do Lovecraftian monsters, but we were hitting three hours, so I begrudgingly got Daniel and Connor here today to do a mini mini episode. Any, any quick any quick shout outs about Lovecraft before I get into it? Uh, uh, he who shall not be named. Ooh, that comes up later. Yeah, it's my favorite. Anything? <clears throat> Um, we'll just get started and we'll see where we go from there. Fair enough. So, so we'll start. Uh, get to work, Adam. Yeah. So we'll start with the easy. Howard Phillips Lovecraft was born August 20th, 1890 and died March 15th, 1937. Gained, gained fame mostly after death with influential works in horror fiction. Right. Yeah. Right, fair enough. All right. Starting easy. Uh, the Cluthu, right? Cthulhu. Cthulhu. <laughs> the Cthulhu Mythos is a shared fictional universe based on Lovecraft's based on Lovecraft's work, coined by August Derleth. Right? I think that's how you say it. Okay. Who contributed to the Mythos? A shared universe where authors added added stories and are considered canon. Lovecraft was very in favor of this. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. He he would have, if I remember right, he would have meetings where he would have just a bunch of writers come in like once a year, twice a year. And they would just sit and write and hang out. They were all kind of part of his mythos. And there was a lot of talk that maybe it wasn't just a, like a writer's group, but like a cult. Yeah, he was but. friends with uh, Howard, Robert, Howard, the, the Conan guy, right? Oh, Robert, Robert Howard. Yeah. Oh, Robert right? Howard. Yeah? Isn't that, is that he, Grace Conan? Uh, I thought it was Arthur Conan Doyle. No, he wrote... Um, that was Sherlock. The, yeah, yeah you right. Sorry, my fault, my fault. Um... Like I, th- I think they had a couple of things where they put like characters in each other's stories and like sh- nods and shout outs that sort of thing. Okay. All right. You, you want me to tread water while you look it up? Yeah, go for it. Okay. I just want to make sure that we got the right name. Okay. Uh, well, a hallmark of Lovecraft's work is cosmic, cosmic isms, the sense that ordinary life is a thin shell over a reality that is so alien and abstract in comparison. That merely contemplating it would change the sanity of that of the ordinary person. Yep, Robert E. Howard. Okay. Yep. So we got got the right name there. Um, Don't make me read that sentence over again. That was tough. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> okay. um, no, but yeah, I, I exactly what you're know what you're talking about. Um, I, I was reading a little bit of, of Conan stuff, and they reference uh, an elder entity that was uh, Kutalu instead of Cthulhu, but other than that, the name was pretty similar, and uh, Conan kind of seemed like a prelude to a lot of H.P. Lovecraft's stuff, like the fantasy version where Lovecraft did the 1920s investigation stuff. Right. Anything else? Oh, there there might have been a couple other... I can't remember any other authors right off the top of my head. That's, That's the one I can think of. We'll throw them out if you remember. Cut me off at any point in time. It, it'll be fine. Okay, so uh, let's talk about themes of uh, Lovecraftian horror. And a big word right off the bat. Anti-anthropocentricism? Anthropomorphism? Anti-anthropocentricism. Oh, wow. That is a, and, I, that is a word. Which is uh, that humans are not the center of the universe, that they're just another small fleck flick small dot in the universe in misanthropy that's two very agree disagree yeah i mean that makes sense i mean um lovecraftian always had these these things that were so much bigger than the rest of him rest of the people anyway and then like you have uh just conceptually like why is earth the center of the universe like there's so much more space that it makes more sense that these giant entities are more important than we are. Yeah, I think a lot of it was is that he would, or at least people later describe it as, like, most of the higher things don't influence much things because they have the same regard for humans as a human might have to a single bacterium. Fair enough. 
Uh, okay, second theme is a preoccupation with viscerate texture. Uh, Lovecraft stories tend to involve more semi-gelatinous substances, substances such as slime rather than standard horror elements such as blood, guts, and corpses and stuff. Yes, I believe he made a monster that was nothing but a living in color. What was that? Name? Oh, yeah, the, um, oh, it's the, the, bl was it blue, green, like the living? I think it was supposed to be green, but, it, you know, it was supposed to be one of those things, like, you cannot really perceive the actual color, but, like, it, I guess, like, from what I've seen, every description of the color out of space has been some kind of, you know, sickly greenish color. I think it was described in the work at some point, but, like, the actual color might be something else. Okay. Yeah, a lot of weird things like that. A lot of Cthu uh, Lovecraftian uh, monsters are giant blob-like things with no real, no real shapes or edges. You think that's or, why um, Cthulhu is so? Is that right? Yeah, Cthulhu. You, you think that's why he's so popular? Because he actually has a shape. He looks cooler in an action figure than <laughs> Azatoth does. I that's all that right. I think that's fair, but I think. I don't know why Cthulhu got so much bigger than the rest of the entities did. I guess it's because he's just as a recognizable form. I mean, he's pretty much just a dragon with an octopus for a head. I mean, like, physically, but not like, you know... <laughs> plus, you know, I never really thought about that, but you're right. <laughs> plus, uh, isn't he on, uh, isn't he on the, the, the sunken ship in the Pirates movies? Didn't he pilot that? <laughs> oh, yeah, old... Uh, Davy Jones, yeah, Captain Cthulhu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, here's another big. There's a lot of big words in this episode. Okay, another trope or theme is <clears throat> antiquarian writing style. Even when dealing with up-to-date technology, Lovecraft tended to use anachronisms mm -hmm. as well as old-fashioned words when dealing with such things. For example, he'd use the term "man of science" rather than the modern word "scientist." Yeah, I think that really gave a different flavor to a lot of his works. Um, you got this kind of feeling that that this old timey, uh, almost like uh, the like when we were talking on the steampunk episode, kind of vaudevillain uh, feel to some of his his terminology. And it, I think it was more immersive that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, to me, when you say man of science, I see you know Dr. Frankenstein in his lab with all the bubbling beakers rather than I see a guy looking into a microscope yeah they don't make science labs like they do anymore with like the Tesla coils that don't really do anything yeah exactly all, all the you know increase the Flash Gordon sound and put more science oh. stuff you know <laughs> yeah rev up the theremin yeah 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 it'd be cool if like CSI had like stuff like that rather oh, than the actual stuff that'd be so much more interesting <laughs> run this DNA test lightning bolt between two <laughs> yeah, Jacob's yeah. ladders <laughs> enhance enhance I would I'd watch it I'd watch it too um, okay. CSI Transylvania <laughs> um, uh, we're, okay uh, detachment love crafting heroes both in original writings and more modern adaptations tend to be socially isolated reclusive individuals Usually with an academic or scholar, scholarly intent to compensate for social shortcomings. Well, it might just be conjecture, but I think that's like he, him writing a lot of himself into those protagonists. I, from what I hear described, that's a lot of how he was. He was. Uh, yeah. Like, I, okay. Go, go, aside go, from go. his like you know circle of friends, he was almost like a, like a relative shut in at certain points in his life, and he. Yeah, it was. Um, didn't that why he died poor? Because he refused to self promote himself, even though he probably was sitting on a gold mine oh he is, was sitting on a gold mine yeah i mean uh it, what happened to him is um i would almost equate it to edgar Allan poe almost who you know died a drug addict in a in a you know gutter somewhere um hp uh, lovecraft i mean he had a really good life for him and then i, I feel like um in real world speak he fell t to mental illness um what did he get um yeah. I, I believe it was kind of a, a like a form of agoraphobia almost because he oh. was very much recluse and a shut in um, which to me almost if you look at the rest real world the more mystical side I think it almost puts more emphasis on his storylines like maybe his stories drove him mad rather than he was going mad while he was writing the stories or maybe he was telling us the truth exactly I mean um, my, my favorite elder god uh, particularly has a book that drives people insane just by reading it. Which so, one is that? a Haster. 
Oh, he, the, he the king, king in yellow. King in yellow. King, king in yellow. Yeah. Uh, he who should not be named shall not be named. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> Haster's got the whole play associated him, also called the King in Yellow. And uh, when it goes around, they'll be like back alley theaters or like off Broadway sort of thing. Is where they'll start putting on the play, and then it'll slowly cause people to go insane, and then bad things start happening in the city, and the city just completely falls into anarchy after a certain amount of time. And supposedly the character, the King of Yellow, is is like never actually cast. It's always he just shows up, and either it's Haster himself, like an avatar of him, or something along those lines. And he wears a mask, and apparently you don't want to know what's behind the mask. Fair enough. But I kind of do. Oh, I mean, if you're going to unmask someone and... <laughs> okay, now we need Scooby-Doo meets Haster, and it's old man Jenkins behind the mask. So, so <clears> I see <throat> you and Mike Stanford to tell me what a Peggy suit... Not a Peggy Sue. Mary Sue. Mary Sue. So is he a Mary Sue, then? Is all um, his characters Mary Sue? I have always heard Mary Sue as a different term than how Mike said it. Mike said that Mary Sue was uh, a personification of the author, where, to me, a Mary Sue in literature is a character without flaws. That's what I thought it was. <clears throat> it was the chosen one that... Yeah. It, okay. was, it was the person who could do uh, no wrong, had no flaws, everything they did was perfect. It's the... The, the person in the, the action movies that has the, uh, um, uh, the as my friend would call it, the magical Jesus rocket launcher that hits anything. and um, Yeah, that's that, to my understanding, is a Mary Sue. But yeah, H.P. Lovecraft, I would agree with Connor, really wrote a lot of himself into his books. Okay. Now, whether those are the protagonists or the demons, the, demons, or the, gods, I mean. the entities, or the cultists who really knows but I do feel like he wrote a lot of himself yeah I think because of that it what really qualifies as Mary Sue is because he mostly portrayed the negative parts of himself in the the characters and less of like his positive aspects again probably because of the depression sort of thing he always focused on the worst parts of himself and wrote about that good point yeah so so what's what's the what's the opposite of a Mary Sue Peggy Uh, Peggy Sue Peggy Sue yeah Peggy Jane, maybe. Peggy Jane, yeah. All right, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> another another uh, trope, if we will, uh, helplessness and hopelessness. Um, usually, the heroes, the heroes, victims are temporary. They are usually they usually pay a price for it. Um, oh, uh, subjects often find themselves completely unable to simply run away, instead driven by some other force to to a to their desperate end. So even if they win, they lose, basically. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm definitely leaning on you guys because I have never read a single Lovecraft. <laughs> yeah, uh, with Lovecraft, I really feel like they really grabbed that noir feeling that was kind of based in the 1920s anyway, um, where in the end, there really isn't anyone who wins. There's just people who lose less. Um, and you get that. So I, I would say, yeah, that kind of hopelessness really ties into some of the noir... Um, I mean, if they're going to do a modern H.P. Lovecraft movie, I think scenes should be black and white. Should it be modern, though? Because it sounds like he kind of digs the old technology, so should it even be set in the modern time? Uh, 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 yeah, definitely. It should be um, oh, 1920s. I mean, a more, uh, if they make a make a Lovecraftian movie in today's era, it should be shot in 1920s, black and white. Maybe with some splatter of color like Sin City. I got one coming up. I'll let you know about it. Right on. And and, and going back to the, the <clears throat> thing about the sense of hopelessness, even in the books that uh, the protagonist doesn't just generally die right off the bat, even if they sort of win, it's mostly a ferric victory where it's like, okay, you've won for now. The guy you're fighting will outlive you. You are nothing on his time scale. Uh, you have prevented one thing out of the millions that are going to occur afterwards. Won the battle, not the war. Yeah, okay. I think that's a great way to put how a lot of the the happy, quote unquote, happy endings in Lovecraft work. Okay. <clears throat> uh, let's see. We got unanswered questions. Characters in Lovecraft stories rarely, if ever, fully understand what is happening to them, and often go insane if they try. Yeah, I think, and I honestly think that's something that we should see more in different types of cinema, especially horror cinema, that we do not need an exposition machine for everything. Sometimes uh, that old adage, less is more, is correct. Yeah. Uh, the unknown is just as more terrifying than the known. I heard that a lot of times he would try to describe a lot of the things as loosely as he could and try to let the viewer, or reader as it were, like fill in the blanks with their imagination. 
So, like, you would get your own personal horror with just kind of a guideline and not like, okay, here's the thing. He looks like this. He looks like that. What, like, you know, I guess that kind of backfired a little bit because, like, the one he described the most completely, Cthulhu, became the most popular. But it still works, in my opinion, at least. It's kind of like, uh, do you get, any of you guys listen to Clutch? No, I do not. No. Okay. The lead singer Neil Fallon, he write he actually most of what I know about H.P. Lovecraft comes from his music. Oh, cool! He writes he's a, he's a, he's a D and D nerd. He's a science fiction nerd, and a lot of his songs are just excerpts from all this stuff. And he gets a lot of requests for, "Hey, what's this song about? What's this song about?" And for years, he'd just be like, "Look, it's better that you just tell me what you think this song is about because if I tell you, you guys are gonna be really disappointed." You guys, <laughs> so anyway, he finally gave in and he did like a he did like a four he did like a four YouTube video series about his songs. Like, this is a song, this is my most requested song that you guys want to know about. Here's what it's about. And people are like, that's really what the song's about. And he's like, I told you it was just better. Than <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. I was one of those people. I was bummed out. I was like, <laughs> one some some deep thing. It was just like, oh, oh no, man, I, I would die. That. I would dissect every lyric. I'm like, this guy knows. And some of the videos, he's like, I put those two words together because they rhymed well. And I put like a twenty-page essay on what those two words meant, together. <laughs> and he's just like, "Yeah, they just rhyme." Well, well, even if that was the original intention, you can still interpret it any way you want. Like just because the original way it was written describes one thing, I mean, who's to say that how you imagine it is not a completely valid way of taking it? Like sometimes right. stuff like that happens, where like even the original intention can be shaped into something else, and it's it still makes sense. Well, it works for me. Yeah. See, now I want to do another side podcast where we take songs and have you dissect them. Oh God, you don't, you don't. Because half the time, half the time, I think they're saying a word and they're not saying a word. <laughs> that makes it great. That's so much better. All right, your first one's gonna be these hoes from uh, like uh, <laughs> like last week's episode's marinara trench. <laughs> marinara trench. Uh, uh, I was in. A, oh. I, Go ahead, go ahead. I no, gotta... I was just in a really hardcore <laughs> rant, and then you two guys started laughing at me. I didn't realize what I had said. So speaking of the marinara trench in Pacific Rim, uh, so I'm on I'm on Hulu, and after I bought like 30 movies, I can't find anything to watch, so I'm browsing through there, and they have Atlantic Rim on uh, Hulu. That's uh, that's uh, that's got to be a uh, Asylum production. It, it has to be. I it's it's on my queue. I'm gonna watch it, but. Those just, are brought to you by the same people who brought Transmorphers. Oh god, that was so terrible. After Transformers came out, I saw Transmorphers one. I did not bother and, to go into the sequels. And when Battleship came out, I believe they they released US U USS Battleship. I believe is what their <laughs> is what their response to that was. Yes, the, the, and probably Nicholas Cage is in all of them. Uh, uh, the next next thing uh, san- this kind of goes along with la- the last one but uh, sanity's fragility and vulnerability characters in many of Lovecraft's stories are una- unable to cope mentally with the extraordinary and almost incomprehensible truths they witness hear or discover yeah definitely I mean going back to what Connor was talking about the what was the color out of space that you were talking about yeah like you try and imagine something that let you can't you can't fathom and that is pretty much everything in lovecraft you know you imagine a color that you've never seen before or like if you ever seen a tesseract uh, which is a the only digital mock-up of a fourth dimensional I object saw in the uh, avengers i believe i saw that <laughs> no not the magic item the, the legitimate oh. there's a fourth dimensional gotcha. item um, and you can on Google it's it's called a tesseract, and it, as it spins, it moves in a way that you cannot spatially conceive it. Um, and yeah, all you had to do is look at those two things for me personally, and like you can feel your mind start to break. Like there's like I can't I can't handle it. Yeah, like everybody thinks that it's just like oh no, it's a thing. It's got slime and tentacles. But yeah, it's like what you said. It's things moving in, in different dimensions. The human can't normally perceive and trying to perceive that is what makes you go insane uh last one uh questionable you guys have to explain this one to me questionable parentage relatives or characters are typically depicted as paranormal dysfunctional or abnormal whereas intimate relations in general are often represented represented as foreboding mysterious and sinister sounds about so i guess he didn't do well in the love department. Did he have a bad childhood or something? Um, I, I don't know much about his his pre adult 
he may have. Um, I know he got married at one point. I'm pretty sure he was on good terms with his wife. So that was just like a theme he had, I guess? Yeah, a little bit. But I think part of that also is um, when we were talking about uh, vulnerability in horror films, that, that kind of nudity, like when you start looking at socially, um, you look at the people who give you the most comfort, they're your f- they're real close friends, they're your family, your loved ones. And if you strip that away, it provides a whole new sense of vulnerability and isolation. So to me, I feel like those elements... Um, kind of help reinforce that with, to build up the horror and suspense. Okay. Alright. Next section. Uh, I just got a few a uh, few Lovecraftian-esque they're not Lovecraftian, they're not Lovecraft movies, they're Lovecraftian-esque movies. In my opinion, knock me down if I'm wrong. Uh, Altitude. It was a Canadian horror film. Um... Have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but I've, I remember you seeing the promo pictures. Got like the the seven forty seven and these giant tentacles reaching out of the well, clouds at it, it. It's a puddle hopper. It's not a seven forty seven. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, have you seen it? I have not. Um, the the main baddie from Hellboy. Oh yeah, that that is one hundred percent Lovecraftian inspired. Um, I mean, space tentacles and everything. And <laughs> the, I this is my opinion. I could be wrong. The the creature from the mist. Last and ever saw the mist, but I read the short story, and it, it it could be most like I guess those creatures were trans-dimensional, but they seemed like they still existed in three dimensions. They were just you know biology that was dangerous and unfamiliar. Okay, I mean there are entities like that in Lovecraft. There are plenty of things that aren't quite so mind-bending, but they're still disconcerting. So I suppose it would still count. Yeah, definitely, and I feel like uh, the mm-hmm. mist. The Mist, to me, really felt like Stephen King's love letter to H.P. Lovecraft. Like, kind of a nod to what he has done in all of his things. Because, like, Stephen King tends to be a little bit more down-to-earth with his creatures. And that was very fanciful. Pennywise the clown? Yeah, he was just a clown that ate fear. Well, like, no, no, no. If you he's, see from, the... he's from space. He's a creature from space. He's from space? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the end of the movie, Pennywise is basically like a smaller portion of some kind of spider entity. Yeah, I remember seeing the spider in the... Uh... Yeah, he's, he's a giant... He's, he landed on... He was a, He's from I, I, somewhere out of space. He lands on Earth, where which became uh, Dairy Maine. And then, he, then he's eventually woken up and he feeds off the the clown is just what he uses to sweeten his victims yeah and even right, like the okay. spider is a smaller part of something else like I believe he called it the, the dead lights or something yeah, yeah. It, it, was, it was like another like maybe similar to the color out of space where it was basically like a living light wavelength made of evil or some, something like that it, it's been a while since I read the book have you but... seen the remake yet? yeah I saw the remake yeah. so when he opens his mouth yeah, yeah. spoiler sorry uh, oh, I've seen it. Uh, okay, and uh, oh God, what's her name? The redhead. That's what the light is. It's the dead light coming out of his mouth. Okay, all right. And then his his yeah. altar his his arch nemesis is actually a turtle. Right. Well, I was surprised they didn't have the turtle in the. But but he did have. He yeah, was he had scared. the little. Yeah, toy. I kind of laughed, and everyone's like, "What are you laughing?" I was like, "Well, never mind. Don't worry about it." Interesting. All right. So, moral of the story: read the book. Don't just watch the movies. If you have a lot, because I'm a slow reader. So, um, <laughs> it's a pretty big book. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and what was weird is that the new movie, like, it went the complete past, and then I assume in the second one they're going to do the present. But in the original, it would time skip. Like, it would start in the younger days, move to the older, yeah, and then yeah. skip back. And and the other weird thing is, like, I think I remember the original, like, the well, they were adults in the 80s. And in the remake, the 80s is when they were kids. So, like, they shifted the whole thing forward a but season don't, don't or whatever. It. We got into a huge argument over that. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't. We, we did on, on the, the books to movies episode. But, yeah, you're right. I think, I, I think they did that to make the... Um, the story more relevant to today's today's family um so that way when they jump forward to the present time you'll have people with modern technology and stuff okay this one actually is an hp lovecraft uh adaptation from beyond i love the movie uh Stuart gordon directed it um okay it's about a scientist he creates this device that resonates at a certain frequency and it allows these creatures to come in, and it like it it, it uh, affects the pineal gland, and everyone gets really sexual, but it goes it goes crazy, and uh, it it sucks him into whatever 
the mi- anyway it's got giant it's got giant uh, it's got giant tentacle creatures in it um, it's from the late 80s it's got Jeffrey Combs in it okay check it out uh, from beyond hmm. interesting so device that resonates a certain sound is that Migos then I think so- Migos have technology that's capable of it and then like you said about the, the pineal gland it what, do you remember anything more about the monsters in that movie? Oh, okay. They were f- in in the movie. I don't know about the book. In the movie, uh, they were like float. They were like like eels floating in floating in the air. Hmm. And they because I listened to the audio commentary and they said the short story is only like it's just like the first part of the movie. The rest of the movie they made up. But oh, okay. if it's, it's eels, that's that's not amigo. Amigo look more like crustaceans well, well I, I looked it up because I didn't want to sound like an idiot the, the <laughs> books actually call it from beyond or the stories actually call it from beyond so if that helps you guys out at all yeah see yeah, my, my knowledge is still limited I, I've heard the name I don't remember the story well I'll tra- are you looking it up yep. okay I'll trade water while you're doing it and then uh, in 2005 there was a silent film adaptation by the HP Lovecraft Historical Society called The Call of C- Cthulhu Cthulhu yeah, it was shot very like Nosferatu, like very impressionistic, but it's a silent film. Either one of you guys seen that? I have not seen it, but I'm familiar with the story. Um, anyone else want to throw in any Lovecraftian-esque movies or any Lovecraftian? I guess Reanimator. That's a Lovecraftian. That's a Lovecraft story. Oh yeah, Herbert West. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't read that one, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Anyone else talk? Throw any more out? Um, for movies, not really. Uh, sadly, this or, is... Or any game, board game, anything. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the, the gaming culture is is filled with, with Cthulhu mythos. I mean, it, it's hard to find a board game that doesn't have a Cthulhu expansion of some kind. Um, I mean, the most popular one is one that Connor and I absolutely love, uh, Eldritch Horror. Um, which, yeah, you can see on the, the game shelf behind me. Um, basically globetrotting in the 1920s and choosing a particular elder god to fight against. Oh, yeah, and the game espouses that uh, feel of Lovecraft. Or the game is not kind. <laughs> there, there are many ways it can chain react and just kill you. I think I've died turn two before. It's... Dang. it's you, you, the game can stretch out to eight hours depending how many players there are. And, and yeah, there was just some kind of catastrophic event that was going on in London, and a, I believe it was a a star vampire came out of the portal there, and you know the the cook couldn't kill it, you know, with the spear of destiny somehow. And <laughs> wait, why does the cook have the spear of destiny? Uh, <laughs> she's got like a whole paladin thing going oh, on. Yeah. Yeah, there's a. I think what's most interesting about that game is that every time I play it, and Connor and I have had similar experiences where it feels like the game's alive. Um, there are just certain things that will react. Like there's um, in the game, you have to collect certain kind of tokens. Um, or um, in one one game game I was playing, you had to um, uh, close the portals to the other world that the monsters are coming through. And the first thing that we did was close all the portals through another card and we had to wait for them to reopen so we could close them for the objective and and almost lost the game because you're on a timer so you don't have a whole lot of time to mess around or uh, uh, my favorite story is when uh, one of Connor's characters was set on fire in Australia and then the next card, Sydney burnt to the ground. Oh yeah, it was, it was the cook again. Yeah, it was the cook. Yeah, yeah. And if you, if you, read <laughs> you guys, you guys need to get rid of that cook, man. Not, no good. Yeah, like in her backstory, apparently uh, her parents died in a fire when she was young. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, so, yeah. so essentially, what happened was she was trapped in a bushfire. Somehow got very traumatized by it. Had I guess a piece of her clothing still on fire. Walked back into the city and, and exploded the refinery somehow. <laughs> Oh, that was another thing I wanted to bring up in uh, the, our kaiju section. Mm. Can the kaijus not destroy landmarks? It's like it's always the San Francisco Bridge, the Sydney Opera House, Big Ben. Yeah, I mean, Golden Gate Bridge has gotten destroyed so many times. Yeah, it's not even funny anymore. Mm. Um, oh, uh, okay. All right. Oh, by the way, we're our other show we're getting ready to do three dudes in a review yes uh us three can do i I got from beyond i watch it all the time we can review it i'm in okay you want to watch a movie not not tonight yeah at some point yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) at some point i would like to watch another movie in my life yes okay (laughs) 
All right, now, I did not do any research on this. I did the family tree of what I know. Uh, so I wanted I want to test you guys, or you guys test me how well I know. I this the information I know is from don't cheat. The information I know is from uh, YouTube videos, Neil Fallon lyrics, and the few movies I know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just gonna go. You guys correct me when I'm wrong. Be gentle. Okay. Azatoth. Right. Okay. Yeah. So far, yeah, yeah. he's the blind idiot. Uh huh. The David Sultan. Okay, so he sleeps. He's the he created this universe. They keep him asleep because if he wakes up, one of the things is if he wakes up, we pop out of existence because we are his dream. Right. The universe is the dream of the idiot. Oh, okay. And yeah. one of the rumors is, or rumors, one of the uh, ideas is that he 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 was actually. There's two that I know. Correct me if I'm wrong. One is he's actually not the great god. There's actually people above him. Another one is there was a massive war. He wasn't always an idiot. There was a massive war and he's the last survivor of his kind. Sort of a precursor to an earlier universe or something like that. Huh. Yeah, that's a that's a terrifying thought. <laughs> okay, he had three kids that I know of. I like, he's probably got more, so just stay with me here. Uh, Nero Lepitef. Right. Yeah, uh, that's the that's the Dark Pharaoh, right? Crawling yes. chaos. Hey, don't... crawling chaos. Okay, he is different in the fact that he's actually here. He mingles with the humans. He's usually guy. He's usually disguised as a leader of some kind. He's also different because he's he's purposeful in his actions. He enjoys death, chaos, and destruction. Whereas the other ones are just are. They just are what they are. Uh, so I have to put on my mic hat because this is where Mike would step oh, in. Fuck, here we go. Uh, so kind of like American politics, <laughs> right? Right? All right. That's for you, Mikey. All right. <laughs> the, the, how, how bad was I on that one? No, I think that sounds about accurate. I, 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 I honestly, I've not heard of him. Oh, um, he's one of the, the the most famous ones. Like he's like the only one that mostly notices. Like there are very few that are higher up than he is. But for some reason, he actually pays attention, and finds humanity interesting. But he finds him interesting in a way a kid with a magnifying glass finds ants interesting. Yeah, because they say okay. they say they say it's good that he's mean to us because if he ever loses interest in us, we wipe out of existence. He'll wipe us out. Huh? Does he have another name? Neolephatef and Crawling Chaos. He has oh, the, okay. The many, yeah, yeah. the many masks. The, he he probably has the most personas out of any entity. Like the the Black Pharaoh was one of them supposedly. He was a pharaoh in ancient Egypt and got sealed away, or an avatar of him, or something. Um, the Haunter of the Dark was another one of his avatars in that story. And God, they're so depressing. If, if anyone had ever seen the, the the Dark Tower movie not too long ago, the villain in that was supposedly another one of his avatars. Matthew McConaughey. Yes, he was Neil Lepetel. Oh, Flag. Oh, that uh -huh, is yes. All. Interesting. Flag. I the only one of the few. He, Flag was in Eyes of the Dragon, Dragon Eyes. Uh, Eyes yeah, yeah, he, yeah, and um, uh, most famously in Stand too, which was I, I've you're talked about. You're it always before. pushing that. I, oh, your, Stand man, you and your Stand favorite. propaganda. <laughs> uh, okay, another child, I guess, Nameless Mist. I've heard of that one before. I don't know too much about the Nameless Mist. That's all I know. Nameless Mist. Okay. Um, uh, check. And, and <laughs> darkness. Yeah, that's another one I know, but not too much about. <laughs> okay. Nameless Myth had Yog Sothoth. I learned how to pronounce it. Yog Sothoth? Is it Yog Sothoth? I've always pronounced it Yog Sothoth. It might not be the correct, but that's how I've always done it. And he is, he is the key, or the keeper. He is the gatekeeper. He is the key, right? That's what he. That's his nickname? He is the key, and he is the gate. Damn, I know some of that. Like, the, one of the, the biggest theories about him is... Uh, in any sort of setting where there's like a multiverse there's always the space in between he is the space in between interesting alright he, he basically is the dominion over portals and magic pretty much any source of magic comes from him ultimately and he's he's depicted as just a blob with many eyes yeah he's he's one of the standard you know eyes blob tentacle sort of thing but like 
again, sort of pushing into that Tesseract fifth dimensional sort of thing you cannot comprehend at the same time because he is essentially in all places at all times, but the true force of him exists outside of reality. He is trapped there, but can still manifest in the various universes. A little bit of sizzle. He has a very famous grandson. I'll get to him. All right. Uh, Darkness had a child, Shub Niggeroth. Ah, yes. Shub Niggeroth is actually uh, my favorite. Man, that's the Yeah. Um, Um, She, a fertile god, goddess. Yeah, she's the mother of... goat of the woods with a thousand young. That's all I know, so I'll let you guys talk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Any sort of, like, a mother of monsters sort of thing, like a echidna from Greek mythology, perhaps a the original incarnation of Tiamat sort mm. of thing. She's basically that. Basically, the mother of monsters. Uh, other, pretty much any sort of, uh, you know, monstrous entity comes from her. Like, pretty much the epitome of unkind nature. Like, eat, kill, survive. Uh, like, the way, uh, like, that's another one of those, uh, tentacles and darkness sort of things but like the the hallmarks of her are typically um tree-like sort of beings like look like dead trees sort of like branching and the tentacles sort of thing and the other thing is goat-like features okay where uh, like probably uh the most famous of the monsters so to her are called the dark young of shubnigaroth and what they look like is imagine if a dead tree had three legs and goat horns and eyes and stuff all over it. I'm picturing it now. Yes. It's terrifying. Um, while we're on the topic of the Mother of Monsters, um, this is something that I found really, really interesting when we were talking, um, I think it was a few weeks ago, but what was the, the creature that existed at right angles and right angles only? Because I think that really kind of define helped defines what H.P. Lovecraft was. What was it? Dunwich Horror. I think mm. it was the the Hounds of Tindalus. Yeah, maybe it was those guys. Um, uh, I don't even remember if those were strictly Lovecraft or something that was added in later in the mythos. But yeah, those guys are very interesting as well. They're like they're called hounds, but I assume they they don't look like dogs. Possibly there's some kind of you know quadrupedal shape to them. But the, the interesting thing is about them is. Basically, I think they're the punishment for time traveling. If you somehow time travel, they can detect this, they can travel to you, and then they, they try to eliminate you. So, they, okay, they only live at right angles, so you only see you can only see them? Yeah, like they use right angles as doors or something like that? Yeah, like yeah. they can come through? So yeah, if any you get sort a... of corner, they can manifest themselves through, pull them out through it, and that is how they get to you. Okay, so, okay... Uh, Masters of Horror I did an episode where this guy it was based on I think it's called The Witch's House does that sound right? oh yeah The, mm-hmm. the Dreams of the Witch House Dreams of the Witch House yeah was that the guys you were talking about? because he was in, he was in the room and he was like looking at the angles of the way the walls was and he I, I think maybe know? like that is an example of the sort of thing that they use I don't know if they were in that story specifically but like it's the same sort of concept okay it's it's a recurring theme though of somehow using angles to traverse space and other sort of like Yog Sothoth sort of thing. I'm screwed. I can't do math. <laughs> uh, okay, so those two had two children, Nug and Yeb. I know nothing about them other than their name. Uh, from what I've seen, and I haven't seen too much. Like they are quite as popular, but th- they are very similar to their mother at least. Every depiction that the that Nug I've seen basically just looks like a huge dead tree branch in the sky coming down with tentacles that's kind of cool and the the yeb kind of looks like a bug with too many legs okay (laughs) with just too many just not a number it's too many so (laughs) all the legs so yug satos grandson and nug's son would be cthulhu the great dreamer Mm -hmm. now all i know about him is uh he established city, oh, what was it? Raylu oh Riley Riley it, it's underwater he sleeps right waiting to come back uh, the, the deep ones he's their father 
Uh, he's. I don't think he's their father, but he's they worship. The father of the deep ones is Father Dagon. Dagon. I knew that too. There's a movie. There's another movie I've seen. I knew that too. Okay, I apologize. And there's this really creepy picture on the internet of these like World War Two. I think it's World War Two, World War One maybe, where they were on a battleship and they fall into the water, and just you could see them like sinking in the water, and there's like. Cthulhu underneath the water with his glowing eye. Shit like that creeps me out, man. That's why I'm going to the ocean. <laughs> I, I think that's another one of the Lovecraft's referring themes is he was also incredibly terrified of the ocean. Oh, I am. I, I, I have panic attacks. I, yeah. Because I think people things like that actually exist in the Marinara Trench. Uh, maybe they do. <laughs> with their meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> and the only other so, one, I don't... Oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, well, I was just going to say about Cthulhu that I think it's really interesting that the, the one... Entity that gets that gets the most popularity out of Lovecraft is the water creature, um, and I feel like that's really rare. If you look at other entities, that the water creature always tends to be get thrown aside. You know, Aquaman, Namor, just as a kind of popular examples in favor of the maybe the air, the fire, or the earth entities. So I think it's really interesting that Cthulhu is one of the only kind of watery creatures that gets super Are super you pretty popular. Cthulhu is. Namor's dead. Uh, maybe. I mean, there could be some some off family relationship there. I mean, I mean, Cthulhu's a dick. Namor's a dick. I, I know in terms <laughs> of the extended canon, Cthulhu had at least three daughters. Really? But they look more like him, you know, big squiddy dragon things. Oh, so I'm not going to meet Ariel, and she's going to take me home to Cthulhu. <laughs> um, and the only other one I had we talked about before the show was Haster. Yep, King in Yellow. All right. Um, okay, so I'm keeping you guys too too long, so I'll speed it up. Uh, tro- tropes of a Lovecraftian monster. Uh, I didn't look this up. This is just what I got on top of my head. So uh, tell me if I'm wrong. Tropes of a Lovecraftian monster. Tentacles. So for some, yeah, I mean the the extendo limbs is kind of a, a scary a scary concept. You do see that. I mean, you know, Cthulhu is the obvious example, but then you also have things like Yog Sothoth, Shubnigroth has tentacles, uh, and then even some of the, the lesser things like uh, the Elder Things and the the great race of Yith also have tentacles. It wasn't uh, Neolepetev. Didn't he, he? The pictures I saw, like his bottom half was like, like he rolled on tentacles, like, like uh, who am I trying to think of in popular culture? Uh, like Ursula from. Okay. From oh yeah, he is also depicted like that yeah. in his true form, I suppose, if you can even call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, another one I got. Un wait a minute. Undescribable, indescribable horror and features with odd names. Yeah, I mean, the odd unpronounceable names, I think, just adds more to that kind of cosmic element of unfathomability. Um, I mean, there's nothing to me scarier than something that I cannot conceptualize, and that is absolutely terrifying to me. Something that my eyes could not define. Yeah, I think it's just like, your senses have limits, and what lies beyond those limits is terrifying, because it's, it's the unknown, and people are afraid of the unknown do you think real quick i'm, I'm not poking front of this because i really like this stuff but i'm not a little bit a little bit of a jab you think he just makes these names up and is like good luck pronouncing them because they're aliens so you're not really pronouncing them right i've heard that was a lot of the intention of what it was actually you were maybe not supposed to pronounce it you're just supposed to look at it and say boy that's a weird name so he's just like, <laughs> he's just like i wonder how these dudes are gonna pronounce this and he's just well, well, I was, okay. Yeah, I mean, t- time for an elder god name. Just hand on the typewriter. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> oh, four vowels in a row. That works. <laughs> if you're not supposed to be able to comprehend what they look like, you're not supposed to technically be able to pronounce their name correctly either. What? Hey, here, here's a word with the only, the 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 only non consonant a Q with no U. Good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> I slammed my fist with the typewriter twice. That is his name. I woke. I got drunk. Fell asleep on the typewriter that's what happened <laughs> um, another trope is cosmic cosmic uh, yeah I mean he, he kind of built that genre I mean when you talk about Lovecraftian horror the usual term you use is cosmic horror okay yeah and then I could be wrong on this uh, the monster is not the focus it's the effects on the hero in the world is more of the focus of the story right right the focus is not exactly the monster itself specifically but rather how insignificant you are when compared to the monster 
Really? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the very little of the actual protagonist confronting the elder deities, the elder gods, um, to me it kind of uh, kind of connects to some of the Sandman books of oh, Neil Gaiman, um, where your main character doesn't even appear in the book mostly you know you go to read for dream and desire and all of those characters and they don't even show up until the last few panels and everything else has been well except for the first run though because it was about him escaping well yeah i mean some of some of the times it's it's okay here's here's dream in the first panel and you're going to see him through the entire book and there's other times where you're reading a book and dream doesn't show up until the last chapter maybe yeah or even speaking of dreams there was that was a whole other facet of the uh, lovecraftian mythos that was not quite as explored in a lot of it as the, the, the whole thing with the dreamlands. Like, supposedly, like, the land of dreams is its own separate plane of reality that people's minds can access while they're dreaming, but it's a plane like any other. Like, you can go through a portal and step into the lands of dreams. Like, I think the, the protagonist had a, a key that would allow him to access the dreamlands physically. So you could be awake and enter it? Yes. And so would you still have to go through Yog sothoth I believe so. I believe the Silver Key had something to do with Yog sothoth I kind of gave up halfway through his name. <laughs> um, okay, so real quick. I'm keeping you guys too long. Uh, real quick. Uh, what does it take to write a Lovecraft? Because we're going we're gonna to write a Lovecrafting horror, cosmic horror movie. What does it take to write one? What do we like, dislike? What's something we could add to them? Because he was really big onto this. What's something we could add? Don't even think about it too hard. Unless you already got something. Just what would you add to the mythos? Well, how like a lot of it is is like there's purists that want to always say, well, okay, well the theme is mankind is insignificant. Mankind cannot triumph. It is hopeless. You are dust. The end. But I've like seen a couple of them, and this is my opinion, and. I would probably get some flack for this for a lot of other people, but I like the ones where maybe it is sort of successful when you fight back. Like, maybe, okay, so the victory wasn't that great, but, okay, you prove that maybe mankind can actually influence things a little bit. Pay attention to us just a little bit, please. Like, may, maybe not quite so far as throwing dynamite at every sort of little thing, but, okay, like, okay, maybe one little thing, one little piece of its army died okay, we influence things just a little bit, maybe we're not completely insignificant. So show them that they're not as infallible as they think they are. Yeah. Well, that would be an interesting twist, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for me, I would go with like an ascendancy plot um, where you have kind of a, a very noir film, you have your your protagonist going against the elder deities, looking through the cultists. But, but how are you going to go against them though when they're, when like Azatoth is just a, I mean, how would you depict that? Well, to me, it wouldn't be against Azatoth himself. It would be against his followers, his monsters, his minions. So you're fighting the cult. Right, you're fighting the cult. And then, you know, at the end of the giant climax, you find out that he's all been trying to prove his worth to this entity. And this entity extends him to, to a godhood or corruption into a giant monster of some kind. Well, I'm glad you said that because in my recommendations, I got just what you described. Oh, right on. Yeah. Anything else? Um, likes, dislikes. Is there something we dislike about the genre that every time you read it, you're just like, oh, again. Like, like Batman, every Batman comic, they always throw in the pearls in the shot. I yeah. dislike that. That's fair. Is there anything in H.P. Lovecraft you don't really care for? Um, or, or you just maybe not care for it, just like, oh, here we go. You just kind of... To, to me, uh, and it doesn't have to be in all Lovecraftian stories, but in some of them, I would kind of like to see um, less bad come from the use of magic. Um, now, granted, all magic comes from Yogg-Sothoth, um, so there has to be some sort of penalty and all of that to make magic interesting or whatever. But to me, I would kind of like to see that where magic doesn't have this massive drawback and you have kind of a almost like a legitimate man of magic kind of character in a book. There was actually one story like that. The uh, Dunwich Horror, actually, was one of the few stories where the protagonist actually made any sort of difference. And ironically, the creature that they uh, sealed away with the magic was Yogg-Sothoth's son, the Dunwich Horror itself. Interesting. Wait, be. I believe it was invisible and they used a spell to render it tangible and they, they might have killed it with another spell. It's been a while since I've read that one, but yeah, it was Yogg-Sothoth's actual son this big fleshy blob monster that would look vaguely human and they used magic to kill it ironically you know using his father's own spells against him huh. 
Has Constantine ever run across Yogg-Sothoth in anything? Um, I don't think by name, but I'd be surprised if there wasn't anything uh, Cthulhu-inspired. Like a little fanboy nod? Yeah, kind of like the the nod in in Hellboy. So I think there there has to be something in in Constantine. More than likely in the Hellblazer run from Vertigo. Yeah, um, uh, well, we're wrapping up, so anything, 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 anyone wants to add at all? It doesn't have to, anything Lovecraftian, anything H... Uh, yeah, um, movie-wise, the first Hellboy. Uh, game-wise, if you don't mind getting, you know, kicked below the belt a few times, Elder Tor. Or Arkham, if that's more your speed. That's the one you, uh, I just spit on myself. That's the one you uh, <laughs> recommended me, right? That one yeah, time? Arkham Horror, yeah, we talked about that. Okay. Uh, well, there um, was a PS4 or Xbox One game that just came out that was based on, is that... I, Judging I, by your look, it wasn't very good. I haven't played it yet, but I'm excited to try it. Oh. I believe it was. I believe it was called Call of Cthulhu. I think is what okay. it was called. What, um, what kind? Of, I'm assuming it's not a first person shooter. No, I believe it's um, kind of an evil within with a little less violence, uh, more of a, a traditional like horror romp. Um, very excited to try it. Have not tried it yet. Okay, you got any recommendations? Games, books. Oh, uh, yeah, other than that, there's the, the Call of Cthulhu RPG system. I've played that a couple times. It's pretty entertaining. Okay. Um, recommend, I recommend the movie you're talking about called The Void. It's just, it's not connected to H.P. Lovecraft. It's just inspired by H.P. Lovecraft very much. Um, very much uh, what happens is a woman is taken to a hospital. Uh, they're in the middle of this hospital's being shut down so there's just a skeleton crew until the new emergent the ER is running up on the new hospital the woman that's taken there it was uh, rescued from a cult the cult comes to get her and then all of this very cosmic creatures start attacking the woman because she's very important to the cult hmm. so it's called it's called the void interesting it's on Netflix now I'm not for sure for how long but um, of course I re- recommend the uh Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one, it's the silent film made in 2005. Uh, there's a YouTube channel called Mr. H Reviews, which is where I learned most of my stuff. He goes through all the mythos and breaks down the creatures and everything. And the Dunsmere song, Crawling Chaos. Oh, that reminds me. Uh, there is um, uh, a parody artist, of, of, I believe he, call, he calls his style Filk. Uh, uh, his name is Evan Brooks, and he does a parody of Hey There, Delilah called Hey There, Cthulhu. Oh, very, very funny. Very funny. Very funny. As good as Weird Al? Um, he's not quite Weird Al funny, but like he does more geek humor oh, right. um, and more more stuff like that. Like He does superhero parodies and stuff. Okay. Well, if you want to sign us out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, Damage Control Podcasting is being recorded at Underdark Comics and Games. In, in Qu- the back room. In the back room today, because we're doing it during business hours. Uh, next to my giant pile of cardboard boxes um, uh, we are located in Quincy, Illinois uh, make sure you come by and uh, see us um, check out our Facebook page at Underdark, Facebook slash Underdark Comics and check out our website UnderdarkQuincy.com uh, send us an email, uh, send us a Facebook message just come in, stop in, say hi and thank you Connor oh, yes, th- thank you very much Connor All right, and